Hello, and welcome to Transformation by Truth podcast, where the call become the chosen and those who have been dedicated to serve the Most High receive the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth as we progress our quest for holiness, perfection, and everlasting life. My name is D.L. Anderson. I'll be your tour guide. Let's get started with today's lesson. Hello, my friends, D.L. Anderson here, and welcome to Transformation by Truth podcast in the quest for holiness, perfection, and everlasting life, 2022, week three. Now, today we continue our perfection and everlasting life series, two weeks to examine the prize and the goal of the quest for holiness. Now, today is lecture D of a word of truth accounting of the spiritual models of perfection and everlasting life, day five. Now the title of today's podcast is Perfection More Perfectly, Part One. In the Elohim of all favor, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11. Now the objectives of lecture D are Analyze the model of a perfect assessment. Examine the link between our levels of knowledge and perfection. Examine the conflict between perfection and rightness and reveal the destruction of those fixated on rightness. Now, for those of you who have joined our virtual book club, this lecture references chapter one of the Pinnacle of Holiness, volume three, the model of perfection. Now, let's begin by analyzing a perfect assessment. Now, here's a question to start off. If you die before you finish your quest for holiness and achieve perfection, will you still inherit everlasting life? The answer, it depends on several factors, and all of them are linked to the Father's will. Now, chiefly, this admission reveals it is possible to obtain full salvation without completing the quest for holiness and achieving perfection. Yet, I want to make it very clear, this is neither the standard nor the goal. As such, these instances should be viewed as exceptions to a very strict rule of spiritual conduct. Now, first of all, anyone who would fall into this exception would be disadvantaged by time. That is to say, they would not have adequate time to complete their quest and achieve perfection. And seeing as we are living in the last of the last days, it is likely that some may fall into this category. This is why the quest for holiness is so critical. It's because this quest is the only way you can obtain full salvation if for any reason, you do not achieve a full measure of perfection due to time constraints. Now, along these lines, the way of holiness is the equivalence of the path to perfection. And everyone who is on the quest for holiness is becoming more perfect every day. Now, this analysis is the basis of what I refer to as a perfect assessment. Now, a perfect assessment is a model of perfection in which one is accounted as perfect 
contingent to their current level of mastery of the Father's will. Now, this level of mastery is required to progress the quest for holiness and the Father's will in your life. And all who consistently fail to operate at this level are not true contenders for the prize of everlasting life. Now, the key to your level of mastery of the Father's will is knowledge. And this speaks to the first podcast in this series, in which we examine the connection between increase and our progressive knowledge of the Father's will. Let's now discuss levels of knowledge. Now, regardless of where you're at in your quest for holiness, a perfect assessment is dependent upon your levels of knowledge of the Father's will. Therefore, as it would be impossible for anyone to be a master of knowledge they don't possess, there exists no universal standard of perfection at the detailed level. Now, bring this down to a personal level, the standard for my perfection is not congruent to yours, for our levels of knowledge are not the same. Likewise, we possess various degrees of talents. This is why the assessment must be executed by the Father. As there are numerous factors which come into play, it's impossible for anyone to evaluate you against the Father's center of perfection. They'd be wasting their time if they tried. Albeit it is their time to waste, you should let them waste it and be careful not to waste yours. This is just one of many reasons the scriptures warn against judging others, for there is no comprehensive standard by which we could possibly execute an accurate evaluation. As the adage goes, no one knows what someone else knows. Now, seeing then as it's impossible for you to be a master of knowledge you don't rightly possess, the Father will now assess you by the highest level of perfection while you're on this quest. Unlike man, he is righteous, impartial, and fair. Now, when I say there is knowledge you don't rightly possess, I am saying there is a good reason for your lack of knowledge. Remember, the Father does not put more on us than we can handle. That includes knowledge, for knowledge is power, and there are some powers we can't handle during the early stages of our quest. Thus, we don't rightly possess it, Neither can we. Now, in this example, the Father will not judge you for knowledge you do not have because you are meeting or exceeding his expectations by mastering the knowledge you have received. On the other hand, there are those so-called believers who are void of knowledge because they do not invest adequate time in the spiritual activities required to become masters of the Father's will. That unlike you, these false believers will be judged for their lack of knowledge because they had no desire to acquire the knowledge they needed to grow. They did not search for it as hidden treasure. They did not desire it as if their lives depended on it. On the contrary, they aligned themselves with the wicked servant in the parable of the talents, and they too shall meet his fate they will be plunged into everlasting torment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's move on to discuss perfection v. rightness. Now, the evolution of this discussion 
places perfection counter to rightness, goodness, and every other excuse men make to justify the refusal to walk in obedient faith to the Father's will. Let's start by discussing the conflict with rightness. Now, rightness, not to be confused with righteousness, is the quality of a person being right as opposed to wrong based upon their factual accounting or representation of a subject or matter. It is a universal and objective standard with no consideration of reasonable expectations of knowledge. It is simply a scale of correct, the incorrect, accuracy, the inaccuracy. Now, there are three key facets of this definition of rightness that are contrast against perfection. One, rightness is universal. Two, rightness is objective. And three, rightness is inconsiderate. Now, when I say rightness is universal, I'm saying there's only one standard of rightness, and you must be completely aligned with the standard to be right, for every other standard is, in effect, wrong, hence the classic vow, right versus wrong. Now, on the other hand, perfection is multi-determined. Although there is one door that leads to everlasting life, there are multiple standards of perfection. However, each standard is aligned with a singular criterion of the Father's will. Next, rightness is objective. That means rightness focuses on the object, that is, the factual accounting of what is being evaluated. It takes no other factors into consideration as it seeks to evaluate what is right. Now, on the other hand, perfection is subjective. Perfection focuses on the subject, that is, the individual who was being evaluated. This includes all the factors of the subject and their relationship with the object. And third, rightness is inconsiderate. As rightness is focused on the object, it does not account for any reasonable lack of knowledge on the part of the subject. In this manner, rightness is inconsiderate. On the other hand, perfection is considerate. As perfection is focused on the subject, it considers the levels of knowledge of the subject. Perfection then is prescribed to the subject if they are observing the knowledge they have received. Now, the sum of this comparison proves perfection is reasonable and considerate and not nearly as scary as some detractors are falsely making it out to be. Trust me, perfection is the only model that could be used to determine matters of eternal life or death. Now, imagine the alternative. Imagine if rightness was a door to everlasting life. Do you have any idea how much harder it would be? It would be exponentially harder. Trust me, and impossible for us to calculate. Yet despite this fact, the modern church has embraced rightness and for the most part, shun perfection. Let's talk about it. Let's now discuss the fixation that destroys. Now, when I say the modern church has embraced rightness, I am saying that most Christians assess themselves and others by the subjective evaluation of what is right versus what is wrong. Now, here lies many problems. First and foremost, this subjective evaluation of rightness 
is in direct opposition to the Father. Now, the word of truth confirms we are not evaluated upon what is right versus what is wrong. If we were, no one would be saved. Romans 3, 10 through 12 reads, there is none right, no, not one. There is no one who is understanding. There is none who is seeking Elohim. They all have turned aside. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now, Psalm 14, 1 through 3, and Psalm 53, 1 through 4 reads, There is no one who does right. Yahuwah looked down from the heavens on the sons of mankind to see if there is a wise one seeking Yahuwah. They have all turned aside. No one is doing what is right, not even one. Now, these verses confirm the strict nature of rightness. When Elohim declares no one does right, he is clearly speaking to the strict standard of rightness, which sets the bar so high, no one can reach it. Now, we know Elohim is true, and no one is doing what is right all the time. No, not one. This is precisely why rightness is not the requirement for everlasting life. And praise Elohim, for we are not judged by the strict standard of rightness. By favor, we are judged according to our knowledge, for the final course of judgment is irreversible. Thus, we are not held accountable for knowledge we do not have and are not expected to have. Now, these things being what they are, we conclude the Father's will supersedes the universal poles of right and wrong. Now, despite this fact, the modern church stays upon them. What these fail to realize is that their fixation with rightness is destroying the entire institution. Now, there are two primary reasons behind this destruction, and both reasons are connected by the model of cause and effect. It begins with the acknowledgement that it's not possible for men and women to do what is right all the time. And this is a true assessment. However, instead of pivoting to perfection and doing their best according to knowledge they have, they retreat to the other end of the spectrum and they do what is wrong. In essence, they continue in sin under the premise that no one can do what is right all the time. So why try? Now, here lies the biggest problem. By embracing sin under the unbearable weight of rightness and their forfeit of perfection, the modern church has invited a host of spiritual and physical troubles into their assemblies. At the same time, they have impeded the process in which they are insulated against these troubles and empowered to deal with them. Now, it's the proverbial inside job. My dear friends, Christianity has compromised itself by obstructing the Father's will due to their fixation on rightness, which is the cause, and it leads to an even more disastrous effect. That is, the gross distortion of grace to account for the vast lot of Christians continuing in sin. Now, in this example, the modern church is forced to justify their continuance in sin because they have either overshot or ignored the middle ground of perfection. They know they cannot attain unto rightness, and they cannot stop sinning. Thus, the only path to salvation in this faulty model is to justify sin. 
Now, if that weren't bad enough, there's an even worse path to be taken, and many are taking it. That is, the path where men and women do not conceive their sin. Instead, they attempt to change the standard of rightness. In essence, they evaluate themselves against a modified standard of rightness that is grossly lower than the original requirement. Here lies the problem. Namely, rightness is a universal objective standard. It cannot be modified. Trust me, Elohim does not modify it, and thus neither can man. But man is modifying it, attempting to make the standard of rightness subjective and thus interpretational. Now, in this example, many church leaders are providing their members with a false license to be as right as they want to be, while falsely assuring them they will yet be saved in the midst of and in the very act of blasphemy and irreligious activity. All they have to do is distort the grace and love of Elohim, and all will be well. This obviously is not true, yet it's one of many derivatives of the fixation that destroys, that is, the burden of rightness and the destruction of the letter. Alas, the many are being destroyed and will be lost because of it. This, my friends, puts an infinite premium on perfection. I trust you are seeing this and that we have moved from proving perfection as possible to analyzing the futility of following every other path, for these are all leading to endless death. Now, here is the final word. There is none right, but those who have been chosen are perfect. Now, the closer we look at perfection and the alternatives, the clearer it becomes that perfection must be possible, for there is no other path capable of alleviating us from the oppressive burden of rightness and the death-inflicting weight of sin. And you will see this even more clearly next week as we continue this series. Now, here is today's assignment. Meditate on this lesson, mainly the contrast between perfection and rightness, and ask the Spirit to show you the truth. For, as I said before, this is a major dividing line in this quest. Now, if the Spirit convicts you of this truth, be prepared to press further on this upward way, for we are still just getting started. We still have a long way to go. So here's what's next. Today's podcast, we finished Perfection More Perfectly Part 1. And next is week two of our Perfection and Everlasting Life series. Now, we'll begin by continuing this discussion on perfection and rightness as we transition from establishing perfection to illuminating it in its most glorious light. And it all begins on Monday. So have a great weekend, everyone. As always, take some time to review the notes from the series and pray to the Father that you stay strong as we continue this quest as we are yet very early in our day. Now, if you are a member and have questions, please click the Q&A box underneath the video player. Likewise, if you have comments you want to share with the group, please share those in the comment box located beneath the Q&A box.
Now, if you're not a member, you have questions about today's podcast, feel free to contact us via our website at www.pinnacleofholiness.com and use the form on our contact page and we will respond to you as soon as we can. And thank you for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to tune in with us every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And if you haven't already, visit us at www.pinnacleofholiness.com and make sure you sign up to join the quest for holiness, perfection, and everlasting life 2022.